This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life is just better with a book. In this episode, we review Searching for Stars Off an Island in Maine by Alan Lightman. I pick up The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak ahead of his new release, Bridges of Clay. And right now, we open up Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. I watched as some people left the dance floor and others flocked to take their place. The music had a lot of brass instruments and a fast beat. Michelle... Gary's girlfriend, beckoned me over and pulled me into a small group of women around the same age who smiled at me and looked very happy. I joined in with what seemed to be jigging on the spot. Some people moved their arms as though they were jogging. Some people were pointing at nothing. It appeared that you were supposed to move your body around in any way you saw fit, as long as it was in time with the music, which was a steady eight beats, helpfully marked out by a drum. Then the beat changed abruptly, and everyone started doing the same thing, making strange shapes with their arms above their head. It took me a moment or two to learn the shapes, and then I was able to copy them. Freeform jigging, communal shapes in the air. Freeform jigging, communal shapes in the air. Dancing was easy. I found myself not thinking about anything, sort of like how the vodka worked, but different because I was with people and I was singing. YMCA, YMCA, arms in the air, mimicking the letters. What a marvellous idea. Who knew that dancing could be so logical? During the next freeform jigging section, I started to wonder why the band was singing about, presumably, the Young Men's Christian Association. But then, from my very limited exposure to popular music... People did seem to sing about umbrellas and fire-starting and Emily Bronte novels, so I supposed, why not a gender and faith-based youth organisation? Now, I'm very excited to talk about this book, Natasha. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Now, this is a character-driven story about loneliness. Eleanor Oliphant is about as socially isolated as anyone could be. She's had a terribly traumatic childhood and she's still being controlled by that in a lot of ways. Um, Now, Natasha, can you tell us a little bit about how Eleanor is living when we first meet her? Sure. So Eleanor is pretty close to turning 30 when we meet her. She's been working ever since uni at the same office in the same job, doing accounts receivable at a graphic design firm. And she has a very pared back life, shall we say. Um, So she does the same thing. She wears the same clothes, um, the same kinds of outfits. She has like two pairs of shoes. She goes and eats the same things from Marks and Spencer. So it's set in Glasgow. Um, On Friday night through to Monday morning, she kind of does the same thing. She basically gets a couple of bottles of vodka and some pizza and drinks her way through her weekend, just wants it to be over and comes back to work and really doesn't have anyone in her life, doesn't have kind of anything in her life except kind of her job. And that being said, I mean, she sounds like it sounds so awful. Um, And Gail Honeyman, who wrote it, said that the – sort of kernel of the idea came when she read about the loneliness epidemic 
that's going on in our society and um, and how it's, you know, you think of that as often a problem that older people have, but actually they'd interviewed in this article she read a young woman in her 20s who said that when she left work on Friday night, she often didn't talk to another human being until she came back on Monday morning. And, you know, Honeyman got thinking about like, well, how does that happen and what does that look like? Um, and with Eleanor Oliphant, who you come to realise is kind of a really smart, sassy, interesting person, um, yeah, you come to see that there's some trauma in her background that has really led her to this sort of life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's how you can be sympathetic for someone who is a bit of a misfit, really. I think it's quite clever the way that um, the reader makes her kind of weird enough to be weird, but just sympathetic enough for you to care about her. That's quite tricky, isn't it? Yeah, she does that well. I was kind of the first few chapters or something like, oh, I don't know. Do I want to do this whole like, oh, outside society misfit thing? And then, you know, she kind of was quite clever about it and drew me in a bit more and made me care about her. Mm. I mean, um, Raymond is, I think, such an important character. She, Eleanor develops a friendship with this um, this boy who works in IT in her office. Yep, the computer guy. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about him? Did you like him? Oh, I did. He's very likeable. I mean, he he's very much the computer guy, right? Like he um He could be straight out of the IT crowd, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. He could be that Chris so, O'Dowd character. You yeah. know, he's not Eleanor's kind of literary idea of a hero. Um he's kind of, you know, he's a bit of a slob and he's just a really nice guy. Uh, not that special, like not so interesting, but he's kind of fun and he's a decent guy and, you know, a little bit not grown up, like wears T-shirts with bands on them and, um, <laughs> you just know. Just a typical just, nerdy, slightly Yeah, plays infantile. video games, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, but he's just a normal human being and she kind of hasn't had that much exposure to that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they're like without, again, giving anything away too much. You kind of like when – we meet him and she's very unimpressed by him the first time they meet. Um, you can, I kind of went, oh, and here's the love interest. But it's actually more complicated than that. And, you know, the whole story is a little bit more offbeat and not quite what you're expecting. So I appreciated that. Yeah, not, it's not quite so predictable. I mean, one of the things in this book that I think really works is how, you know, we see everything from Eleanor's point of view and so we're really alongside her as she undergoes her transformation um I kind of liked this book kind of said to me that change while it's difficult is always possible did you relate to that part of the story yeah I think so so the change in her life is quite convincing and compelling in that there's sort of these gradual you know she's kept everyone out she's had this watertight life for so long and has convinced herself that she's completely fine but obviously she isn't fine in lots of ways and as the cracks start to um, form and people start seeping into her life in a good way as well as in a bad way um, you kind of go yeah this is this is I believe this that this is how this would happen for her. Um, and, I mean, part of the joy of the novel is that, um, you know, if you have a character who is a social misfit and hasn't had the kind of childhood and upbringing that other people have had, there's just lots of things that she doesn't get about what other people do. So it reminded me in some ways of The Rosie Project, which is about, you know, a character who is kind of on the spectrum a bit, like 
you know, just doesn't get social conventions and what you're meant to do and what other people know about and it's all a bit mysterious to him. And so then that's a tool for the author to be like, hey, look, aren't these things actually, when you think about them, these things that we all think are normal, they're actually pretty strange. Yeah. So she had, so that's quite fun. You have some elements of that where she's like, and I'm the weird one? Like, what is going on here? Yeah, like when when um, she's going to a party and the host says, oh, don't bring anything. So she turns up with nothing. And Raymond, of course, turns yeah. up with the drink and yeah. some flowers. And she's like, but what? She said, don't bring anything. She's like, oh, yeah, but. Yeah, there's a point where yeah. Raymond shows up at her door with like a, um, a balloon to cheer her up. It's a SpongeBob SquarePants balloon. And she's like. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Like he's like, it's SpongeBob SquarePants, and she's like, that is supposed to explain it. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's so weird. You're like yeah, it is weird. And the other thing that's kind of cool is all the jokes on his t-shirts, which mean nothing to her, yeah. but which are little in jokes to the reader, which yeah. we of course understand. Um, yep. Yeah. So, would you recommend this book, Natasha? Yeah, I would. Like it's an easy read. It's good fun. Um, yeah, I don't think it's earth-shattering, but it's her first novel. She kind of um, turned 40 and went, actually, it's now or never. Do I want to write a novel? I'm going to do it. And it took off and, um, you know, has been an option for a movie that Reese Witherspoon bought up. So, you know, I think I will be interested to see what she writes next. It's pretty great for a first novel. We've been talking about Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Hunnaman. And I must say one of the things I like most about that book is just the title. It's a really cool title. It gets you in straight away. But now we're going to some non Fiction Natasha, Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine by Alan Lightman. This is a scientist's search for meaning. What prompts Alan Lightman to start asking these kind of questions? So Alan Lightman is or was a theoretical physicist um, and, you know, at some point became a writer. Uh, and I feel like that's a good combo. Like you don't have that many theoretical physicists who write really well and or that many writers who understand quantum physics. Um, but he's got it all. Uh, and the sort of launching off point for this book is that he his family owns a holiday house on a little island, like a kind of rocky outcrop off the coast of Maine. Um, Where and, is Maine? Sorry, I'm ignorant. Oh, sorry, like the like northeast state of the US. It's up there somewhere. Okay. My US geography is hazy, but it's around there. Um, I feel like they're famous for their lobsters. Is that right? Um, haven't been. But, you know, it sounds great and it's kind of very remote and you have to kind of get in your little dinghy to get there. Mm. Um, and he talks about this experience he had where he was um, going there late at night in a boat. He turned the engine off and turned the light off. And because it's quite remote, he kind of lay down in the bottom of the boat and looked at the stars and had this quite sort of metaphysical experience of like just being stunned by the beauty of it, but also feeling like his life and all of human life just being this dot and of being part of the cosmos and, um, you know, really a sense of the transcendent and the absolute. And so the book is really him kind of wrestling with this idea of, well, as a scientist, um, I can't prove that there are absolutes, you know, absolute truth or absolute goodness or um, absolutes like the soul or God or anything. But I have these longings, you know, as humans, we have these longings and these kind of intuitions that there's something more. And he's like, I'm not sure I believe in that. But what do I do with that, that we that we feel this way and so that all humans seem to feel this way? What does he have any religious background? Uh 
not that he talks about particularly. So he, he's very open. He obviously kind of has been thinking about these things for a long time. And I just find it really refreshing that he's not trying to argue anyone in or out of any particular position. He's just very open about his own um, journey with this, that he talks to this rabbi and he's friends with, you know, various Christians and um, other people who have particular religious beliefs and commitments. Um, and he doesn't, but he can see the attraction. And there are points where he's really, it's quite poignant that he goes, I do believe that I'm going to die and, you know, cease to be, but I'm not okay with it. Mm. And that's, you know, like that in itself is a phenomenon that you have to deal with as a scientist. Totally. Can you maybe read us a little bit of this so we can get a sense of it? So this bit is about kind of death and the afterlife. He says, for a materialist, death is the name that we give to a collection of atoms that once had the special arrangement of a functioning neuronal network and now no longer does so. From a scientific point of view, I cannot believe anything other than what I have laid out above. But I am not satisfied with that picture. In my mind, I can still see my mother dancing to the bossa nova, as she often did, giving her hips a jaunty shake with the beat. I can still hear my father tell his cushmaker joke, and his comment years ago when the family went on a sailing trip together, this is what happiness is. I often wonder, where are they now, my deceased mother and father? I know the materialist explanation, but that does nothing to relieve my longing for them, or the impossible truth that they do not exist. Oh. So he's, you know, you know what I mean? He's really not trying to pretend that he gets it. Um, And I think that honesty is quite rare. So he's not presenting any answers to these questions. He's just saying... Yeah, it's an exploration of, and it's actually an exploration of a whole bunch of things. It's not kind of uh, like it's quite a short book, but it's very wide ranging. He kind of talks about nature quite a lot. At one point, he goes out and he looks at one square inch of the island, you know, like kind of looking at Mm. very tiny life. What happens on this one square inch if he stays there for long enough? It's sort of a philosophy fieldwork expedition, if you like. So he kind of examines the natural world. He talks about poetry. He kind of gives these great um, kind of history of science lessons, like this is what scientists have thought for millennia. And, you know, I because I'm actually really not a science person, but reading him, I'm a bit like, okay, I could, I could get on board with quantum physics. Okay. You know, it's quite accessible. So it's not just for science nerds, you don't think? No, I don't think it is. I think it's kind of an everyone book. And, I, you know, uh, I think that science shouldn't be this cordoned off area that only the highly scientifically educated can understand and enjoy. Um, like I've, I get the impression that Alan Lightman thinks it's for everyone and he gives you an in to understanding, okay, here's where scientists are at with these kinds of things and what does that mean for the rest of us? And so it's it's a really great read. So opening up science in the way that psychology, I guess, might have been opened up to the yeah, general public. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Natasha. That was Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine by Alan Lightman. Well, now we're going to do something we've never done before. I want to know, Natasha, what's the book that you started but couldn't finish? And maybe you have a lingering sense of guilt about not being able to finish this book. <laughs> Actually, this one I have no guilt about whatsoever. So, because have you heard of The 100-Page Rule? 
No. So, like, there's a rule in theory that you should read when you're giving a book a go because, you know, life is short and you can't necessarily love every book every book and so you need to be selective and so they say you should read a hundred pages minus your age oh so the older you get you have to the read more. fewer pages you oh, read. Oh, the fewer pages because your life is getting yeah. shorter. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. Because, because you're more experienced, so you're like more likely to be able to figure out whether the book is worth reading earlier on and also because you have less time left in your life and so you don't want to waste it on bad books. Well, with Richard Flanagan, The Narrow Road to the Deep North, I couldn't get past page 40 three <gasps> times. And oh, I no. Had to, and people said, oh, just no. get past page 40. I eventually got past it and I did finish the book. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, worth it. I loved that book. <laughs> yeah, Stunning. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't especially follow the 100-page rule usually, but there was one that I did follow it, and that was um, – I know I'm going to get shouted down for this because everybody loves this book, but The Book Thief. Oh! I know. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just that – I just – oh, my like, gosh. So I read – I was – I must have been – was I 30? I read 70 pages, and I was like, nah, this is not what I want to spend my life doing. It might have not helped that immediately before oh. this – I read I'm The Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, which is a stunning book. Like she just writes so brilliantly. And I finished that and that was epic and deeply affected me. And then I started The Book Thief and I was like, what is this? This no. is not worth my time. What? So, I'm oh, sorry. I'm, I'm look, sorry. That was actually going to be my pick for my review today. So, <laughs> okay, we can do that. You can convince me. Go. No, no. Well, well, well let me do my okay. book that I couldn't finish first and then we'll get to The Book Thief. Um, So mine's kind of embarrassing as well. <laughs> and I feel like everyone listening mine's to Mine's not embarrassing. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> It's something that the people listening will go, what? What is wrong with you? Um, It's Tim Winton's Breath. So the only Tim Winton book I've attempted to read was Breath. It was the first one I picked up. I, at the time, didn't have a lot of reading time, so I was reading a little bit each day, and I'd been with it for three weeks, and I was getting into this dark place in my head, (laughs) and I just didn't want to be there anymore. I just didn't like the characters. I wasn't batting for them. I didn't care about them. I was just like, I don't know. There was nothing for me to keep going, and in the end, I just went, this is a place I don't want to be. Uh, Like. Over two-thirds of the way through. Wow. I feel like two-thirds, you might as well, like you're on the downhill slope. I, just just get there. I just didn't want to be there anymore. Like I had young <laughs> children and I was at home yeah. and I wanted to – and it was affecting mm. my mood and I yeah. just was like, I just don't want to be here. You didn't go see the movie then? No, <laughs> I didn't. Fair but enough. I have been told that I should have gone to Cloud Street first. So the next Tim Winton book I attempt will be Cloud Street. Okay, good plan. Mm. Uh, But now, for my pick, I was going to go with The Book Thief today, partly because I know that Marcus Zusak has a new book out in October, Bridge of Clay, again, which a lot of people are quite excited about, but also because I have been now reading this to my 11-year-old. So I read The Book Thief a couple of years back, really loved it, but it is quite an investment of time. It's quite a long book. And now my 11-year-old has been begging me to read it because Mm -hmm. some other kids, she's in year six in school, have been reading it. I was a little bit concerned that the content might be too distressing. I mean, it's a Holocaust novel, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's it's more World War II than Holocaust. Holocaust is there in the Mm. background, but it's sort of more focused on an ordinary German life in World War II. Now, Oh, that's totally G-rated. Yeah, (laughs) totally, I know. Well, it's also set in 
Munich or just outside Munich, which we are going to. Oh, I see. Very soon. Okay. Anyway, for whatever reason, I decided to read it and I forgot how much swearing there is in it. Oh, no. Do you skip over it? No, no, I just read it to Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because the character is, um, you know, it's part of who they are. Good. Faithfulness to the Yeah, so I read the swearing and I just, you know, it's all right. Um, but they're not like the worst words, but, you know. I think what is more confronting, and we haven't got to these bits yet, is obviously the fact that they're hiding, you know, a Jewish person in their basement, that mm. Liesl is without her real mother, mm. um, that, you know, people are going to die in this book. It is a war. Obviously yeah. people are going to yeah. die. So there's a lot of really confronting stuff there, and I am a little bit concerned about how my 11-year-old is going to cope how is she going some so of that. far but so far we are loving it like it's Great. literally like every night if we don't read it she's begging me mom we've got to read the book thief and it's been interesting to see how easily she has embraced what i think would have been a text that would have been too complex for me at that age so do you think that i really ought to try again with the oh, book thief natasha it is so good sure? it is there was so a point where good. i was like oh death is a character i'm out I Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> and I wondered how my 11-year-old would cope with that because it's weird, mm-hmm. but somehow it's been fine, and I can't explain why it's fine, okay. but it just is. Um, and, Natasha, I have to say, I think Rudy Steiner is one of the most lovable child characters in literature, like up there with Anne of Green Gables, Huckleberry Finn, Oliver Twist, you know, Harry Potter even. Like, I know I love okay, that's Harry big. and I mm. love Rudy Steiner. And I think if you read this book that you will love Rudy Steiner too. <laughs> I'll consider it. I'll consider it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, that's my pick. Thanks so much, Natasha. It's been fun having a chat. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore from the Centre for Public Christianity. Now, the books that we have reviewed today are... Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman, Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine by Alan Lightman, and The Book Thief by Marcus Suzak. Thanks for listening to the Hope Book Club, because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.